0: The world is evolving at a faster pace than ever before and as we begin the path to recovery after worldwide disruption, this podcast explores how design industries can adapt to changing expectations and create a better future for both business and consumers. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN and your host this week. You're listening to Create Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast. This week I'm joined by Jenny Middleton, our Director of Beauty Over the course of our conversation, we talked about the immediate impact that the beauty industry has seen from the pandemic, from the impact of masks on makeup, through to at-home salon treatments and much more. So without further ado, let's start the conversation. Welcome, Jenny. It seems like so long since I've seen you in person. I mean, we're counting down months and months now. Um, Yeah. Let's, let's kick off with how the beauty industry has evolved in what's a comparatively short space of time, but obviously the world has moved so much since different countries went into lockdown towards the beginning of the year. And I was thinking, actually, as I was getting ready for this today, um, I am today back in a hoodie. And at the beginning of this, I wore hoodies and I kind of felt that need for comfort. And for you and I, we're both here in the UK where restrictions have come back in in the last couple of weeks. And it sort of feels like we're we're all hunkering down again. That has a big impact on what we're wearing, not just on our bodies, but also our faces as well. So, how have you seen things evolve uh, in this well, short or long period of time, depending on how you're counting it?
1: Yeah, I mean it feels like a rapid set of changes came in. And I think one of the things that we noticed straight away was that beauty repositioned itself very quickly. Beauty brands were innovating and pivoting, and one of the most important things they did was obviously position themselves as a real support to people at a time when they needed it. So we saw a lot of beauty brands pivoting their production lines to produce much needed hand sanitizer and soap. And that gave beauty this kind of new role, this new purpose beyond just an aesthetic. Actually, beauty was an essential. It was something that we needed to keep us safe. And that's something that beauty hasn't had before. There's been this kind of perception, really, that, that beauty has been about, you know, the frivolous, the fun. And of course, it is still all of those things, and we all need that more than ever now. But what we're seeing here is that beauty also has some gravitas. It's a serious player. Who would have thought, for example, that when you and I, you know, leave the house a few months ago, if someone had said to you, you know, when you leave the house, you're going to take your lipstick, your fragrance, your mobile phone, oh, and you'll take a hand sanitizer. We would not have believed that we'd have been putting that in our handbags and our pockets before we leave the house now we wouldn't dream of leaving it without you know leaving our homes without that so that's the way that beauty's kind of repositioned itself and you're right you know as we're going through into yet another season we did spring we did summer and now we're doing autumn we're seeing something that we know has been emerging for some time but it's been accelerated by this pandemic outbreak and that's a need to sort of cocoon yourself, not just physically cocoon yourself and wrap yourself up in lovely warm hoodies, but also to kind of use, you know, product that can actually soothe and and release release your anxiety and make you feel kind of better. Um, So, you know, elevated bathing products that have got products in them that make you feel better when you smell them. And we've not been able to go to lots of our holiday destinations, but when you, you know, when you go into your bathroom and you unscrew that cap of that product and you take a sniff, it can immediately relax and transport you. So those sorts of products are the things that we're seeing now beauty brands really focus on. They're repositioning their portfolios and really pivoting to provide that kind of product because that's what's needed right now. You're right. That's going to continue right the way through um, our autumn and winter
0: here, here in the UK. Um, and obviously for you know some of our listeners or viewers elsewhere in the world, their seasons have been the other way up. But still, people have been you know, locked in their houses, and with that comes that kind of degree of uh, a need for comfort. And, and we're looking at that for sort of all aspects, whether it's interior products we're buying for our homes, the products that we've got in our bathrooms, or indeed in our wardrobes, if we're still stocking those full. Um, I want to talk about the face specifically. Now, whether you work uh, or whether you did work in an office and have had to move from a working uh, from home environment or if you are one of those key workers who have still been in stores or in hospitals or all the multitude of other job roles that have had to kind of battle on through during this pandemic, everyone is spending more time in front of their screens. It might just be so that they can communicate with their family. Or maybe they're trying to get their, you know, their job going, Um, which means that we are just as you and I are now spending a lot of time looking at ourselves. I have never looked at myself so much in my life. And my God, it doesn't it's not good for your psyche, is it right? You're seeing all the wrinkles and the problems. And, you know, no matter what age you are, there's probably something in your face that you don't love which is um, maybe not good for our mental health, but is certainly an opportunity for the beauty and skincare industry. Talk to me a bit about how you've seen brands um, respond to this and where we've seen great examples of brands helping people just feel a little bit better uh, about how they look, especially during a time when perhaps not feeling our best.
1: Well, I think that's so important. I mean, I probably think that you've never seen me in real life without makeup, even a little bit of makeup now and again, whereas I actually go on calls with my team Um, or other colleagues and I think as we've gone through this period I felt a little bit more comfortable going kind of without any makeup on and um, I think that's changed what we want from our makeup what we want to see is some products that make us look dewy or fresh or glowy or healthy you might not want a full face of kind of party ready or office ready makeup but what you do want is something that's going to make you look like you're you know healthy and well and radiant and good on camera particularly if you're doing a lot of camera calls so I think our skincare and makeup has morphed quite a lot. So we're seeing a lot of hybrid products, functional products that provide that kind of moisturization, that hydration that we really want, particularly if we're spending a lot of time indoors. And that's the kind of product that we've seen. So some of the some of the Glossier products are particularly brilliant at kind of highlighting the dewiness. Um, some of the ordinary products that are around you know an active ingredient that will be great for your skincare so what we're looking at i suppose is, is just a tendency for brands to think about you know what could we do that actually streamlines that routine now that people are are getting ready and, and doing their hair their makeup their skincare in a different different environment and um, what do they want now and what they want is actually to look well on camera i think that's what we all want that's never been more important than during the pandemic and that's what we're seeing from a lot of brands I think as well the innovation that we're going to see around here is going to be really exciting. Because equally, if you do go out of your home, what you need is to have a streamlined routine that goes on underneath your mask. You don't want a pile-up of product. That's going to exacerbate existing skin conditions. It's also going to be the perfect environment for causing new breakouts because you've got oil, layers of makeup, multiple layers of serums, moisturisers, that kind of thing. So something we've been looking at for a while at WGSN, the end of more trend is that multifunctional bringing together a sort of paired back streamlined routine so you just use one or two products and you don't get that build-up and then you won't get what we're dubbing as mask knee that is like kind of this build-up or breakouts that you'll see underneath the skin so people's skincare needs have really radically changed during this period because of you know what you're having to put on your face
0: every time you go outside the door I think that the mask thing is really interesting I have yet to go out with a mask and not come back and kind of find it you know that kind of orangey foundation residue that's on the back of them which means kind of washing them constantly which obviously I should be doing anyway so maybe it's a good way of forcing me to do that but it's still not particularly nice every time you take it off and see all of that makeup build up so there's clear opportunities and maybe I'm just not using the right foundation at the moment.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because actually um, you know that we've got access to um, edge by essential data, exclusive data that we use on beauty. And we tracked actually a lot of the descriptors around non-transfer or long wear, because you're right, that's exactly what people are going to want, not only from their foundation, but also their lipstick. You want something that's going to stay put. So when you take the mask off, when you you know get to your restaurant table or, or whatever, then you're, you know, you're sure that your makeup's still in place. And actually, there's a real opportunity here for brands to look at that because there's very, very very few brands that are doing long wear or non-transfer that they're really promoting that and that's a really big thing so that's a big opportunity as is of course anything that was like a primer or a a setting spray again this would be something that you might have seen a makeup artist using or you might have seen people kind of you know using those at at the counter at your department store now that kind of fixing spray that setting spray for your makeup is going to become absolutely one of the new essentials that that people will want in their beauty bags. so you're you're right to identify that it's it's it is um really really annoying and it's something that makes people very aware of how good their makeup is if it says it's non-transfer they're going to look at that mask when they peel it off and think it wasn't really was it so brands have got to really be quick at innovating in that space and that is going to be a product that's going to be much in demand and there's a real opportunity there right now
0: value uh, for a moment. Now, we've just recently published a white paper here at WGSN that is all about how essentially the world and and actually the word itself of value is evolving during this time. So consumers over the past few years have really been trained to seek out discounts, look for three for twos. And that's how retailers have essentially carried on driving us into stores. And we've become very savvy about what we can get in terms of bang for our buck. But we're seeing value evolve at the moment to mean more than that. It's more than just an exchange of product for money. It's also about making a consumer feel like they are getting more and that they are invested in as a consumer to that brand. But it's particularly pertinent when it comes to the beauty industry. Talk to me um, about what advice you would be given to brands in this space if they really want to take advantage of this new value economy that we'll be going into.
1: That's a really interesting point. And value, of course, as the white paper identifies, and um, as you've quite rightly pointed out, isn't just about money. It's not about value for money, although that is part of it. It's about what you value. So as I mentioned earlier with the sanitizer, we've repositioned what we value and what we deem as an essential product. And that means that consumers will be prepared to pay and they'll pay a premium for products. But it's got to be product that they couldn't live without. So, for example, what we've seen, we've done a bit of analysis on this, a bit of work on looking at some of the the search data and trends data. What we've seen is that people might be prepared, for example, to downgrade their um, moisturiser or their sun protection factor, as long as it's providing them with the the function they need. So UVA, UVB, broad spectrum, that sort of thing. But what they won't compromise on is their foundation or um, they won't compromise on their night cream. So consumers are shifting what they consider to be quite important and if you're a brand you've really got to work out where are your kind of key consumers really going to go after your hero products what are they going to want also what can you reformulate to give some of those functional benefits so for example if you're a brand that's creating a moisturizer and that's been a hero product for you have you thought about reformulating that so that it offers blue light filter protection Have you thought about reformulating a shampoo or a shower gel that's got a natural kind of immunity-supporting adaptogen or an antibacterial or antiviral ingredient? So it's all about thinking about any plans that, that a brand had, and I'm saying this to clients quite a lot at the moment. If you had any plans for launches in 20, 21, 22, they had to be really torn up and then reformatted around what consumers now need because those those needs, as you pointed out in your intro to this piece, have just really shifted so much. So value isn't so much about making product really inexpensive. It's about making products do more than one job. And about making sure that it's really good and you can prove that it does that job well. And that's another thing. I think that what we're seeing here is a boost to scientists and that's going to have a real benefit for derma brands. So during this lockdown, we've seen, you know, we've had this daily diet across the world of scientists, medical experts, um, clinicians in many cases coming to talk to us at press conferences and we have trusted those voices and they've been elevated in credibility. So if a consumer needs to think about well, I'm going to buy this product, but I really want to be sure that it works, so I'm spending this money on it. Then actually thinking about using somebody who's got that kind of credibility and kudos in terms of their voice is going to be key. We are predicting a rise in derma brands as a result of that. It's a trend that we've been tracking
0: for some time, but we'll now really see start to start to flourish. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's just another example of a trend that has accelerated massively because of this pandemic. And we've seen so many of those big consumer trends that we predicted before this that we thought would kind of come to fruition in 2022 actually happening now because the world has been put on fast forward and I think you know the the one you've just um, talked about then is a perfect example for this particular industry. Around this topic is the concept of luxury. So, we've talked about the concept of value kind of at one end. But if I think about, you know, luxury beauty products or skincare products that I would have made in the past, a lot of the, the, the luxury aspect of that was going in somewhere beautiful. So an amazing beauty hall in a, you know, very gorgeous department store or somewhere much smaller and boutiquey. And a lot of it would be about the interaction with the person who was selling me that product. It would be about how it was packaged. And I go away feeling like I'd had a luxury experience How do you do that in a world where some of us might gone back into stores but very tentatively and we're going far less frequently than we were in the past? That is such a good question because you're right. Beauty is such a
1: high-touch industry. You don't really buy a perfume unless you've smelt it and know that it smells great and it smells good on you. And you don't really want to spend, you know, a huge amount of your money on a cream that when you actually rub it into your body, it doesn't feel great or it doesn't smell great. You know, that's going to end up just like languishing in your bathroom cabinet and you've wasted that money. So that's a really good point. Discovery has been very, very difficult for beauty brands that are traditionally sold through, you know, department stores and boutiques because it's all about going in there and experiencing it. What we've seen is a number of brands doing some amazing jobs of just pivoting and making their their products work for them online. I mean, Face Gym is probably one of the most famous. It pivoted within a week and it took its very personal trainer style of uh, facials and was distributing the tools and the products and doing online kind of virtual experiences. Same with quite a lot of nail care brands who were teaching you how to do an at-home manicure. Same with hair care brands. Um, Deliveroo have teamed up with John Frieda. So there's a lot of brands who are bringing in layers of convenience for the consumer and actually creating a lot of intimacy. We're seeing some hair experts, some amazing salon hairdressers, some really good celebrity makeup artists and celebrity nail um, technicians who are bringing their expertise to the consumer and helping them to understand you know, how to actually use their products. So that's giving them a slightly different touch point, but still touching the consumer and reminding them of how good that product is. I think for fragrance it's been really tricky because you know fragrance is very important actually because before a meeting even a virtual meeting and this might sound kind of strange but I will put on a perfume because I kind of want to smell nice and I want to feel kind of like I would be if I was going to you know a face-to-face meeting with a client if I was you know flying somewhere around the world to see one of our clients So fragrance is important. We want to keep fragrance in our lives. It's also very, very good for kind of emotional support and boosting our kind of mood. So there's an aromacology aspect to fragrance. However, of course, it's very hard to discover a new fragrance without actually smelling it. So we've seen during this time that traditional nostalgic fragrances have gone up. So sales of things like rose or lavender or peony have gone up because you and I don't need to go to a store to know what that will smell like. We we know how that will work. But there are also lots of companies that are doing kind of sustainable style of sampling to try and get samples out to consumers. There's one store um, in the U.S. that I was talking to recently that had decided just to change and not have a, a physical store that was staffed by lots of people, but actually just to take some of that money that she would have invested in, in having a front of house team and just distribute as much fragrance as she could in samples to all of her local community. Um, so we're seeing a sort of slight shift and change in the way that businesses are operationally running um, and that's going to continue because, you know, having had some of this convenience and had some of this intimacy of being in, you know, a celebrity makeup artist's home or, or being invited to, a, you know, a sort of slightly chic and interesting kind of party where you might have had expert tips. Consumers don't really want to let that go. And the convenience of having, you know, in Paris, for example, they very early on were mixing um, salon quality hair dye and cycling that um, to to people in the greater um, Paris area. So that level of convenience has become something that consumers have got used to. And they're not going to want to give that up when this is over. So some of those things are going to become sticky behaviours. And convenience and intimacy is something that brands need to think about a lot in order to encourage um consumers to to continue to connect with them and it albeit in a slightly different way
0: it's amazing actually how how more adventurous we've all become so i wouldn't say i've become more adventurous maybe with the colors that i'm putting on my face i'm kind of going with the trusted beiges and neutrals and things that i know but i've been cutting my husband's hair the whole way through this he's convinced he's never going to go and have a professional haircut again <laughs> things like, I, I would have been terrified <laughs> at the thought of picking up a pair of clippers but necessity has sort of demanded that and you know your point about All these things that we might have gone to a salon for, even if it wasn't on a regular basis, but as a treat, we're having to do ourselves now. Um, I was going to talk about trying to do my own bikini line and then I'm thinking that might be inappropriate. Talk to me a little bit about other adventurous things that people have been doing.
1: So one of the things that we tracked actually was um, Google search data around around what people were doing DIY. What were the things that they actually couldn't live without, like straight away in lockdown? And it really changed because at first what we were seeing was people who wanted to remove their gel nails because they couldn't go back to the salon and do it. So that was a big spike. Then as time went on, it was more about haircuts and colour. And then as time went on a bit more, it was about reversing really bad colour that people had got wrong. So I think the professionals are probably safe in many areas because we saw quite a lot of people. I mean, Instagram was filled with it, and we saw quite a lot of people around, kind of you know, lots of social media talking about how they'd had a disaster. So not everyone's got your your quickly uh, honed skills, Carla. So you should congratulate yourself on that, but. One of the other things that I think people have started to get used to is, is just at-home DIY has made them realise, well, actually, if I've been financially impacted by this, and maybe if you've lost your job, or maybe if lockdowns have meant that you haven't been able to get out to see you know, your dermatologist, your trichologist, your hairdresser, you, you've kind of tended to have to take um, matters into your own hands. And one of the things that I think is really interesting that we've been seeing a lot of is the use of technology to actually help you analyse, diagnose, and prescribe skin conditions. So, we started to see this at the Consumer Electronics Show um, back in Las Vegas in January. It was the last in real life trade show that um, one of the beauty team went to. So we saw a number of, of, of tools and one of the ones I really liked was um, uh, the La Roche-Posay Effaclar Spot Scan, which is this product which I'm, I think you've heard me present um, about this before, but it's so clever. Um, it basically scans your face, you use a smartphone to scan your face and um, it analyzes your, your skin and it compares it with 6,000 dermatologists taking photographs, and then it gives you a diagnosis and a prescription of what you should do to treat your skin. Now, Neutrogena have got um, an NAIA, which is a, an, an assistant which actually chats with you via text about your skincare goals. And some of this sort of technology that's like a sort of smartphone app control diagnosis of hair, skin, that kind of thing, is, is gonna become really important. And personalization, which we've been talking about for some time, is gonna really spike during this because if you can't get out to see the professionals, you still want to know that you're getting it right and you still want to know that your diagnosis, your self-diagnosis is accurate. So what we're going to see is people sort of, you know, we've been writing about this a lot on the site, actually, on our on our contents. you know, where you uh, pull out a strand of your hair and you post that off to get it diagnosed to see what the condition of your hair is, or you perhaps do some DNA sampling, or you do anything kind of virtually so that you can actually speak to somebody who's an expert, but you you then kind of like treat your skin yourself and then can track it in the same way that we might track, you know, our sleep or our steps or our diet. So we're using technology in a way that's way more exciting than just the, the tech trial, which is obviously accelerated during this period because that's the only way you can have a safe try on but actually technology is actually helping us to diagnose prescribe analyze and feel confident about the choices that we're that we're making with our skincare and again you were talking about value earlier but if you want to be really confident you want to know that you're buying a product that's actually working for your skin so being able to track that and track the performance of that product is going to become even more important
0: We're kind of running out of time. So I just want to end and ask if there's something that you personally have discovered during this time that perhaps you hadn't used in the past or it's a brand new product that's come across your desk. Um, And I was thinking about this beforehand and kind of scrabbling around. But it was interesting you talking about perfume earlier. And I'm totally the same. Before kind of every meeting I'll give myself a spritz and I found a small perfume oil rollerball which would have been kind of probably my traveling kit beforehand and I keep it on my desk and it's sort of because there's often no time in between meetings to run and spritz myself with perfume I'm putting on my pulse points and it's that smell that kind of uplifting thing and it's like I guess it's the kind of product as a teenager I might have used and suddenly it's become quite important to me during this time as well so is there anything along those lines that have uh, been your kind of secret arsenal to get you through the pandemic?
1: So um, I think that's a really interesting observation that you're using the rollerball, because I think we'll see more of that as people don't want to kind of spritz themselves in public when they go out because it's a bit invasive when people are so concerned about, you know, kind of the air around them and and personal boundaries. For me, it's about um, getting good sleep. So there's a Tisseron product I've used, which is a a bath and shower um, product, which is lovely in the bath and really helps me sleep. Um, I've also really fallen in love with an Antonia Burrell kind of room fragrance spray which kind of elevates the mood of a a room which is great for sort of like changing the ambiance in in here when I'm working and the other products I love is those hand sanitizers that are cause driven brand but just they look so cool when you kind of get them out of your handbag and everyone says what's that hand sanitizer and you sort of say about about the fact that they're giving this amazing kind of money back to sort of African water projects and stuff but they look super lovely so those are probably my three.
0: Thank you so much to Jenny for taking the time to join me today. There were some really interesting things that we heard about. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please subscribe to the show, which is available on all major podcast platforms. And if you really liked what you heard, then please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us get the word out there. If you're interested in what we've been talking about today, then please head over to WGSN.com, where you can find out how you can get access to all our insight and analysis. We are constantly publishing new content around how the world can create and design a better future for the industries that we work in. So thank you again to our guest. And I'd also like to thank our podcast producer, Roland Bodenham, And thank you for listening. Peter Marion will be back in two weeks time for the next episode. So until then, stay well and healthy and we'll see you next time.